Hey, this is Vince Molinaro. I am the founder and CEO of the Leadership Contract, Inc. If you're wanting to learn about how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the Leadership is Changing podcast. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. So the purpose of this show is is taking our listeners' uh, leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today. If we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, and then they can inspire real change. But it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Today, team, I have uh, a guest with me. His name is Vince Molinaro, and Vince is the author of uh, a couple books. One is called The Leadership Contract, and then there's another book coming out too that he's going to share with us very soon. But Vince is a what he calls himself as a leadership geek, and uh, Vince and I have uh, sort of share, share that same similar sort of background of being leadership geeks as well. Uh, Vince, welcome to today's call. Thanks for having me, Dennis. Excited to, to be with you. Excellent. So, so Vince, let's just start off with a little bit about your background, please. Just tell us a little bit about who you are and what your background is and, and you know, what you inspire to do in the future. Well, I'm, I'm a, as you said, I'm a leadership advisor. I spend my days working with senior leaders, helping them really think about what's the leadership that their organizations are going to require uh, currently and in the future, and really help them get clear on that and help them build it. So it's really about how do you scale leadership across a company, particularly when a company has to deliver on a significant strategic mandate. That's essentially what I've always done. I've also held leadership roles myself. And uh, in running a leadership business, uh, you lead leadership gurus and experts. So uh, you think uh, your leadership role is challenging. Try leading leadership experts. (laughs) Every day is a 360 exercise, whether you want it to be uh, or not. And I've always, you know, done conducted research uh, through my graduate work and, and, and whatnot. So bring kind of that research perspective, the consulting experience, and then the lived experience. Uh, and I've written extensively. So uh, leadership is a passion. And for me, it began early in my career when I had uh, the glimmer of working with someone who I thought was a great leader. I, I realized the impact she had on me and the organization. And then we lost her because she succumbed to lung cancer, which I found out later from her, she believed came on because she worked in a toxic management culture. And that for me early in my life was an impetus to do this work. Wow. Yeah. So that toxic environment, how, I mean, that's uh, just tell us a little bit more about how important that is and actually understanding a little bit about the environment that you're working in and how it actually impacts us a lot. Well, you know, back then, uh, you know, when I was in my early twenties doing that work and, you know, hearing from her, her experience as a senior manager in a toxic environment. I was a young employee. I, it was a world I was completely oblivious to. 
because I never saw the senior managers really working uh, together. But she just described the infighting, the backstabbing, the sabotaging. And I think at the time, I always questioned, well, did that really impact her health? Well, now, many, many years, if not decades later, the research is clear. Uh, we know the impact that a stressful, toxic environment can have on one's health. And, and so what I've learned, and I think through that experience, I learned, you know, one of the most important decisions a person makes is who's the leader uh, or manager that they work with. And if it's going to be a bad or mediocre or toxic manager, you need to run away because, uh, you, you know, it could impact your health. And I've seen it happen, not just in that colleague, but in so many other people over my career. And so leaders have the power to create a great culture or a negative culture. It's, it's, a, it's a ripple effect they have in either ways. And really what I try to do is help leaders understand what culture is, how they create it every day through their behaviors, and how to create the best possible culture. Because when you do, people elevate themselves to, to levels you never could have imagined. Yeah, yeah, wow. And, and, and I know that in your book, that uh, The Leadership Contract, you talk about the culture side of things and, and how there's, it's really quite interesting to see how the leaders bring that to life. And I've seen that as well myself over the years that where, you know, what leaders talk about or say, do they actually live it as well? Do they actually bring it to life and actually do, do it? Or is it just lip service, which is quite interesting to watch? That disconnect between what we say and what we do, I think employees mm. are always watching that. And we see it play out right now, even in the political sphere, right, as we're looking at political leaders of prominent countries and how are they stepping up at this critical time. And, you know, uh, uh, I even see it, you know, as a parent when, uh, you know, I think it's ingrained in us as humans. I I just always remember my kids when they were really, really young, they're always kind of sniffing out that integrity between what you say and what you do. And if that's there's a good alignment there then they're feeling okay. They're, they're going to go along. But if they don't, if they don't see it, they're going to rebel, right? So you see it in young kids, that this sense of wanting that integrity. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. So it's like how are you showing up as a leader and, and are we being judged as a leader all the time and, and what we do, how we say it. And uh, it's really interesting, and even down to the tone of voice that we may use with people, which is, which is very interesting. Hey, Vince, who is your favorite leader? Now, that leader could be somebody who's alive today or could be for someone from history, you know, um, and, and why are they your favorite leader? You know, it's such a tough question to answer because there's so many people to admire. I, I don't know if I could pick uh, just one, uh, but if I were to pick one, it wouldn't come from history or, or whatnot. I mean, there's different leaders who I admired for different things, but my colleague Zinta had a had a huge imprint on me early in my career. The the person who I referenced, she was a senior manager. She was always someone who would lift her people up and she would always be in the background. And and she was so deliberate in how she led. If you ever went into her office to meet her, she would immediately stop what she were doing, turn around, look at you eye to eye, put her hands on her on her lap and basically communicate, I am here and listening to you 100%. She wasn't distracted by anything else. It was something that I just, you know, what I realized is I just observe those things in a very subtle way. And I think that's what sometimes we don't appreciate as leaders. And it's hard to do when you're, you know, dealing with multiple demands and you've got a lot of pressure on you to be as deliberate as she was. And so in a lot of my writing and a lot of my work, I I really do focus on the need for us to be really clear about the kind of leader we need to be and want to be and be very deliberate in achieving that. So for her, uh, because of her personal uh, impact, I would pick her. 
Great, yeah. And, I, and I'm sure that a lot of us do shape ourselves as leaders, as you say in your book too, about how we, 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 we see and watch other leaders and we experience them, whether it be a positive or a negative thing, but then that actually does help shape us to be the leader we want to be. And we also see the leaders that we don't want to be like. And um, I think you're given a great example there of, of, of her. And I, and I know you talk about her in, in, in your book as well, which is really right. important. Yeah. yeah. And if you just think about when we see a leader just, you know, behave in a way that, you know, to a high standard of behavior. And if you look at, you know, uh, who is probably right now on the planet, the person seen as being the best leader is your prime minister, right? And and if you think about, you know, after the tragic events in, in Christchurch and how she stepped up and how that leadership reverberated around the world, right? That to me is what is fascinating, right? People in parts of the world who may not even known about New Zealand or know about Prime Minister Ardern just see her and go, wow, there's something there that I connect to. That's that's the power. And I think a lot of leaders don't really appreciate that that, that they have that that power, not in a formal sense, but in an informal sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think that word you just used, which is connect, is really quite important for, for a lot of leaders. So we are seeing a lot of change happening in the world uh, and around leadership and around business and and so forth. And so I, the, the name of the show is Leadership is Changing. So what is what is you know leadership is changing? What does it mean for you, Vince? Well, you know, I think in many ways I would say that leadership has always changed, right? Because leadership is ultimately, and I've always believed it. It's not my idea. In fact, in the in the leadership contract uh, book, I talk about it. And in Accountable Leaders, I, I have a chapter dedicated to it. And and it's really this sense of leadership is rooted in your context and in your environment. And you always need to be thinking about what is happening externally. Um, what is the implications of the trends and the drivers and the changes? And, and what does ult- ultimately that mean to how I need to show up, how I need to lead my company, my team, my country? And so I think the leaders who are able to constantly uh, be in connection with their context and, and have the courage to say, I don't have it all figured out. My company, my organization, my country uh, my team needs different things from me and be mm-hmm. prepared to evolve and change are, are the ones who I believe are going to be successful. So, uh, you know, I would say leadership is not just is changing. It's always been changing. And we need now having said that there are some, you know, time and tr- test, you know, truly tested uh, principles that always are important. But we always need to be thinking about evolving our leadership for sure. That, you know, that's why the title of your podcast is so timely because it's so accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that the other thing that I said in some of my, in the introduction of the podcast and so forth, that is if leaders are not changing, they're going to get, become irrelevant and get left behind. And, and that's something they have to stay on in front of the curve to, to, to keep going, uh, which is really important. Well, and the point is it's not them being irrelevant and left behind is a greater risk. It's, mm-hmm. it's their companies will be left behind. And, and that has an impact to employees, to shareholders, to customers. I, you know, a great thing, I've got uh, an accountable leaders uh, community uh, based on a digital app, and we have weekly calls with a cross-section of leaders who join in. And we were having this conversation a couple of weeks ago, and one of the members shared that she just attended a presentation of directors, of board members. And what, what one person had commented said, if you are seeing right now, today, if you are seeing your CEO behave the same way he or she did six months ago, 
you're in trouble. Uh, and and that, that to me just captured exactly the essence of your point, right? If, if the most senior leader is leading like they've always done at this moment of a global pandemic, a potentially global recession, all the protests and riots that are not riots, but the protests definitely happening around the world. And depending on where you are, they verge on riots and you're coming up like it's the same old, same old. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, good points there. Yeah. Interesting how uh, things are moving and evolving for sure. So how, how has your business or industry changed over time and, and how has that impacted you or your team? Well, you know, being in the leadership development industry, um, you know, a number, a number of years back, I don't quite remember uh, uh, when it was, but I remember kind of we had an experience that was fascinating where, you know, uh, my team and I, we had a strong team. Uh, the leadership practice I was leading was the dominant bread in our country. Um, you know, we were expanding aggressively in the U.S. market um, and we were having a really, really good run. And we were invited into every proposal, every opportunity, and we won more than our fair share until one time we were invited by one of the big banks. And it was the first time we didn't get shortlisted. And that was a bit of a surprise to us. Like, wow, how did we get shortlisted? And there was another competitor in the U.S. who we also knew worked in there. So I just assumed they did. So I called up uh, their CEO saying, hey, um, uh, congrats. I guess you got shortlisted. And he said, we didn't get shortlisted. And we said, we both sat there because we both thought one another did and neither of us did. We found out afterwards that another company, a consulting company, not even in uh, one of the big four, not even in the leadership space, got the work because they came at it so differently, so non-traditionally. And to me, that was a critical inflection point where I realized this this industry is changing and companies aren't necessarily prepared to go with the tried and true um, and so that was a kind of an important moment because then I realized at that time with, you know, the advent of technology, uh, the pressure that leaders were under to deliver, I said to my team, you know, if we were to start our company today, we would not build the company we have. We would build something very different. And really, since that moment in time, I've been on the journey to figure out what is that kind of company that, you know, brings compelling thought leadership, brings a strategic orientation uh, has compelling learning that is, you know, that is uh, delivered on multiple platforms, um, and 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 is enabled by technology. And that is sort of what I think everyone's trying to figure out. And that's kind of what I'm jazzed about figuring out. Not sure if I have, but that's kind of what we're working. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a changing thing all the time. Where uh, in that technology and where it's going and what's happening, which is really interesting. There are some dangerous words that a lot of people or organizations tend to use over time, and that's we've always done it this way. And I think that's whereby you've just given that example of whereby somebody else has come in from out left field, come in and, and did something and you've gone, whoa. Um, so it's, uh, it does um, sort of disrupt things and sort of helps us stop and think about where we are with things and what are we doing and do we need to approach things a little bit differently for sure. Yeah, and I think those speed bumps, like us not mm. being shortlisted, uh, you know, you, one can easily explain it away. But I think you got to pay attention to those things because ultimately it's like, huh, this formula we thought was successful may be needing to be evolved. And so that that's, I think, the key learning. Yeah. Okay. Here's a question for you. And that is, if there was one thing you could change in business as a leader today, uh, what would that be? So if- you know, it's it's interesting, even now in the light of in the light of what, what's happening now, I've I've always believed, and this was influenced by work I did in graduate studies, I was influenced by the work of some folks who, you know, there is a sense right now of 
how do we need to repurpose the role of organizations in our society? I, I was on a call last week with a number of executives, and they were talking about how should they respond in light of, you know, the tragic death of George Floyd and what's happening in, in the U.S. around, you know, the Black, Black American community and, and whatnot. And it was fascinating where I immediately thought, well, of course, it makes sense for CEOs like many have to come out and, you know, condemn racism and, and be seen as being part of the solution. And yet in that conversations, a lot of the executives were not as convinced. And, and so to me, that kind of showed. And part of the reason was, well, we didn't really come out strongly during the Me Too movement. We didn't come out strongly during this. We didn't come out strongly during that. So now if we come out strongly here, how will we be perceived? You know, and my thought was really around, well, you, you probably needed to come out then, <laughs> that now the expectation is that companies need to be seen as not being separate from society, but being a part of it. And I think companies can do a lot to lead us through this uh, time by setting examples, by addressing you know, uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity, which have been chronic problems. You know, companies should can be leading the way, you know, on the environment, on, on a number of things. And I think that to me is the biggest opportunity that we have. Yes, it's important to, you know, crank out profits and create value, but but those things in my mind are not mutually exclusive. One thing that sort of keeps coming up, because I know years ago, we used to say that the profits and stakeholders and customers are oh, and people. Um, we always tend to leave people to the last piece and always to the side where what we're seeing nowadays that people are needing that uh, are more important than ever. They've always been important, but it's it's actually making sure that we are doing things to look after people on that. However, not because it's a marketing ploy or it's something because it's the buzzword for today, but it has to be authentic as well. Completely agree. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah. How have employees' expectations of leaders changed over time? Well, you know, I think like everything, the expectations leaders feel through, you know, changes in their industry, changes in the world of business has also come from people. In fact, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, a uh, depending on where you place the date, either tail end boomer, but most likely leading, ed, leading edge of the Gen Xers. But, you know, I, I find the millennials to be a much maligned generation, but they had one of the most important impacts in our organizations. Boomers and Gen Xers, I don't believe, ever showed up at work expecting to work for a great leader. In fact, I think they, as, a, as generations, are often not appreciated for putting up with some of the worst managers that's ever, that ever have existed on the planet. And they wore it like a badge of honor. I think millennials who were children of boomers and Gen Xers saw the impact that that had on their parents. And I think they entered the workplace with a really clear sense of wanting to work with great leaders. And if they didn't get them, what did they do? They would leave really, really easy, right? And so to me, that expectation has always increased and been there. Now you have, and I'm really curious to see what's gonna happen with generation Z or Z, depending on where you are on the planet, because I believe that, and my children are in that group, they are the generation who are the most literate around leadership and who have also had more leadership development in their short lives than most of us have had uh, to date. And so I think they're going to come into organizations already with this construct of leadership in their head, already with a ton of leadership development. It'll be curious to see how they'll just, what's this big deal about leadership? They're just going to do it, right? And so it'll be very curious to see how that impacts. The bottom line is 
the expectations keep increasing. And that I think comes back to why, to your point, why we always need to be open to change because the expectations keep keep changing. They come externally and they come from the people we lead. Yeah, and it's interesting to watch when they don't see the strong leader or they're, they're not being led strong enough that they, as you say, they tend to leave. So I, they vote with their feet. They, they're they off. You're and nowadays, right. they also tell the world about that leader as well, I think, on social media. Yeah, for sure, right? You go on Glassdoor and um, you can find out how you're doing as a leader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the new voice of the workforce survey now is on the Glassdoor, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, team, I'm just uh, here on the podcast with uh, Vince Molinaro, who's the author of The Leadership Contract. And Vince, I think you've got another book coming out too very soon. Is that right? What, what's the title of that book? Uh, that book is uh, called Accountable Leaders, and it really builds off of the work of The Leadership Contract. And it really is uh, really came from my client work, uh, where clients were working with The Leadership Contract. And really, that purpose uh, the purpose of that book is to help leaders understand what it means to be a leader and how they need to step up individually. And what the organization said to me was, this is great, but we need our leaders to also, you know, hold others accountable. They need to build accountable teams and they need to work together with other leaders across the organization to really drive a strong sense of accountability. Now, why the word accountability? Because what I've learned uh, over my, you know, over my career in doing this work is that accountability is the fastest way for someone to get better as a leader. Uh, you know, we hear a lot about, well, we need leaders to be inspirational and we need them to be authentic and we need them to do this and to do that. And those things are, are, are really noble and aspirational ideas that I agree with. But what I have found in working with a lot of leaders, they don't often see how they can do it. They don't often understand, well, how, how do I become inspiring? How do I, you know, and, and so that's where the gap is. But you know what? Every single one of us, can become more accountable. And if we're honest with ourselves, we see opportunity to be more accountable. And if you set a tone of accountability as a leader at an individual level, it has a positive ripple effect on the organization. So accountable leaders really explores how to do it with your team, how to do it with your peers. And then for CEOs and heads of HR and heads of talent and leadership, it shows what they have to do organizationally to support leaders to drive that, to drive that change. So what I've done, I didn't realize when I started back in July 2013, when the leadership contract came out, that I have what I'm calling my nonfiction trilogy, uh, you know, on my hands. And um, and so the book actually re- releases uh, June 10th. And so, yeah, we'll see how, how it goes. Excited to be talking to people about it yeah, at this time, especially. Yeah, cool. And is that book uh, aimed at senior leaders, uh, people who are inspiring to become leaders? Uh, who, who's Who's the audience? Yeah, so it, it really is, you know, two audiences. You know, the first audience is for anybody in a leadership role that really needs to kind of drive that accountability uh, beyond themselves, assuming you are taking that accountability to start with because you've got to start with yourself. And then, as I said, if you are a senior executive, a CEO, a head of HR, a head of talent, and you need to find what are the mechanisms to put in place in an organization to create strong accountability, leadership accountability, and sustain it, So those are really the two primary audiences. Yeah, and I like how you're saying that they need to start with themselves. And I think there is one thing that all airlines will actually share with us. When the mask drops down in front of you, put your mask on first before you help anyone else. And and that's what it's really about, is about putting your mask on, making sure that you are okay first. You are accountable yourself to yourself before you can start helping others and and holding them accountable for, uh, for whatever you're expecting them to do too. 
Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's coming out very soon. So looking forward to seeing that book coming out. So um, just on the podcast with Vince Molinaro, who's the author of The Leadership Contract, and now his new book, which is called Accountable Leaders, which is coming out very soon too. Vince, um, another question for you, which is what makes a leader successful today in the fast-paced, ever-changing world? In the book, I, I talk about the global research that has found what accountable leaders do and how it differentiates them from those seen as being more mediocre. And in the research, we found five behaviors where the net difference was the greatest. So the first one is that, and, and these are all, you know, not necessarily very exciting <laughs> things, mm-hmm. uh, but but really critical. Number one is that they hold everyone to high standards of performance and behavior themselves and their team. So it starts with high standards. So there's no settling, no tolerating mediocrity, you know, that that becomes important. Number two is they have the courage to tackle tough issues and make difficult decisions. That becomes, you know, really, really critical. Uh, And we know in practice is that a lot of people in leadership roles really avoid a lot of the tough things, particularly around people, managing poor performers, uh, giving candid feedback. We kind of, you know, these things make us a little nervous and we shy away from it and, and we don't appreciate the cost uh, that and the price we pay when we avoid that. Number three, they're very good at bringing strategic clarity to their teams and the people they lead by, you know, by really cascading the strategy of the organization. So that sense of clarity uh, really drives accountability, but it helps everyone understand what it is they do and how it connects to the success of the company every single day. Number four is, uh, this is really interesting, they are optimistic about the future and the company. And, and this was really interesting because if you, you know, if I think back to you know, the great leaders that I've had the pleasure to work with. And, you know, they, they always did bring this sense of optimism. Even in the toughest moments, in the darkest days, there was a belief they had that we can kind of get through this. And that, I think, is really critical, particularly in today's world, right? Uh, I read recently a quote that says, you know, in the, in, the mid- in the midst of a crisis, don't be the crisis, <laughs> right? And so if you as a leader are losing your mind when everyone's looking to you for leadership, you know, that's a problem. And the fifth thing, and it gets back to your idea of leadership is changing and the conversation we had around context is that they're always kind of looking externally to see what's coming next, right? So they're not just heads down like an ostrich, just focusing on on driving execution, which is important to do. They're taking the moments and time to look out and see what's coming so they can anticipate, respond, and be really nimble in the face of an uncertain and changing world. Yeah, excellent. So um, the number four that you shared about their optimism and that, that, that belief, that optimism is contagious, but it could also swing the other way. So if they're not, then that's contagious as well, as you're saying, and becoming that issue for the organization. So yeah, that, that's great stuff. And um, looking out for what's coming next, that, that is the key. And staying on that cutting edge. And, and I think for a lot of leaders, if they can be the ones who are out there networking, learning off others, white papers, reading about things. But, you know, sometimes people say, oh, I'm a manager and I'm just too busy. And I'm like, okay, I get what you're saying. But there are things out there right now called executive book summaries, right? So you can get the book, 300 pages, but then you can get an eight-page executive book summary where they give you the nuggets and uh, there it is and it's easy. But, you know, I'm going to encourage people to make sure that they are staying on the cutting edge. The internet today has so much available for us. Go out there, read, keep yourself updated on what's going on for you and for your team and your organization, but also in the industry as well. So if you become that thought leader and you're staying out there looking for, as you say, Vince, looking for what's coming next, that's that's really, really important. Yeah, and, and what I've also learned with that is, 
is kind of staying on top of things broadly and even outside of your own field. Like this year, I, I, I read two books about trees. And it was so fascinating to um, just understand the complexity of a forest and, and how, it's, how it works and, and how much intelligence is actually going on there. It was, it was mind-boggling uh, to, to read that. And to kind of then, it allows you to go back to your current situation to say, hmm, I, what if I put, put that thinking into what I'm currently doing? So I think that becomes something really important. You know, so it's not just to read within your area, is to also just be, have that curiosity. And I think that's, that's the, I think, tied with optimism. I think a lot of times inherent in that is, you know, some of the, the, the better leaders just are inherently curious, uh, you know, about the world and, and bring that enthusiasm uh, of learning uh, to their roles. Yeah, great. And, you know, that, uh, as you can say, reading those books on, on trees would have been really amazing. And then also to be able to relate that back to whatever you're talking about and thinking about for sure. Absolutely. So if I was to ask you to get the crystal ball out here, Vince has got a crystal ball and thinking about the future and that, well, where do you see leadership being in five years time? Um, you know, it's a great question. I, I don't know if um, my crystal ball is working, uh, but what I, what I would, how I would answer it is, is uh, both a question of if we look at where we are today and extrapolate, you know, I think what we would say is leadership is going to be more mediated by some critical technologies like artificial intelligence and whatnot. And potentially, you know, it has the, uh, the opportunity to give us insights about the behavior of our employees and use it to help motivate them and connect with them in better ways. I mean, that, that, that's certainly possible. Now, there's a darker side to the impact of that technology. And I think leaders have to be careful to not go there. But, you know, I think, I think that's one. What I would hope is that some of the chronic issues we have now actually get finally resolved. What are they? Well, diversity, uh, inclusion, equity, Let's freaking fix that for once. You know, we've been talking about it. We don't need any more studies telling us what we already know, which is our boards are not diverse enough. Our executive teams are not diverse enough. We're, we don't create inclusive environments. There's a great degree of inequity and discrimination in our organizations. We're seeing that play out now in the U.S. We can fix that. So can we do it in five years? I don't know, but we can move things Advance uh, uh, employee engagement. You know, I've been looking at the research for decades, and it's still the same. Twenty-five percent of employees are the only ones that are ever truly engaged, and you've got seventy-five percent who, depending on the day, are actually actively disengaged, and yet they keep showing up, um, and you keep paying them. And there's this middle, depending on how they're led, can either swing either way. We can fix that. Now, the challenge, of course, is the world will continue to become more virtual. We have we have just you know, at warp speed been thrown into that world, which now makes leadership even more demanding and more challenging. So now you don't even see your employees. And now how do you drive engagement in that virtual world? That's going to be a complexity we have to deal with. And then the third component is, can we get to a place where companies genuinely at their core understand that, you know, there's an obligation they have to society as a whole, uh, it, it, you know, that profit and doing good are not mutually exclusive, that they can come together you know, in, in powerful ways. Uh, years ago, when I did my graduate work uh, in doing research in this area, there was a quote that talked about, you know, we really can't talk about great companies in the midst of a decaying society, right? And so that's something we have to, I think, come to terms with. And and so uh, that's how I would answer that question. Yeah, excellent. Oh, wow. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, 
if we as leaders can move the needle towards where we need to go to, that's really important. But I think the whole thing comes down to the willingness and the action that we need to take to, to get out there and do that. And yeah, it's really important. So yeah, some excellent sharing there, uh, Vince. So Vince, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where, where should they go? Uh, two places. Um, uh, easiest is on LinkedIn, uh, so they can find me there and, and connect. And then my website is drvincemolinero.com. Great. Thank you. So what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown, the unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. So look out for the episodes as they are published. Please listen to them, put a review and a rating. If there is feedback that you'd like to give me as the host of the show, please feel free to send me an email at uh, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com and we can set up a 15-minute call to have a bit of a chat for to allow you to give me that little bit of feedback so then we can um, use that in the show and so forth. But uh, I just want to say to you, thanks for tuning in today and the show Leadership is Changing and we look forward to talking to you on the next show very soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.